Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Overeaters Anonymous Recovery from Relapse meeting. My name is Rita Q, and today it is the 21st of December 2021. I am absolutely delighted today to welcome somebody I consider a friend, and I am just delighted to hear his story. It is Rick Kay from Miami. Rick came into OA around about the year 2000, and he is going to share his experience, strength, and hope with you now. Take it away, Rick. There I am. Uh, hi, I'm, I'm Rick, and I'm a compulsive eater. Can everybody hear me okay? Because I've switched to a different device for my ear. We're okay? Okay. And I'm also outside, and it's a little glary, so the sun just popped out. So you can see from... from I'm on this gorgeous setting on, on a body of water uh, coming to you from Miami, uh, living in a tropical paradise. And if I wasn't a compulsive eater, I wouldn't be living in this tropical paradise right now because I'd be dead. There's no question about it. I'd be dead. Um, I used to be a professional and, and there's a quantum of proof in the thing that I did, which is um, I have an abiding conviction to a moral certainty that, but for the 12 steps and specifically the recovery that I was presented and the solution I was presented in Overeaters Anonymous, I'd be dead, I'd be dead. This isn't my only addiction and I'm not here to talk about those other addictions, but I'm here to tell you that I, that I have other addictions. However, this is my primary addiction. This is the one that wants to kill me. And um, so I can walk down and I'm gonna tell my story. I just love recovery so much. I always just, I just want to talk about the big book and recovery. Um, and I want everybody to feel the way I do. You know, I got up this morning ultra early, you know, where we are in, in Miami, it's, it's nine, whatever it is, nine, 15, 15 or so. And I got up actually about two 30. I usually get up at like three or four in the morning because I go to a 7am meditation meeting. And I, and I like to get in my physical exercise and run during the night because in Miami, it's hot during the day. It's a little breezy and cool today. Um, so I'm up early. And also I was thinking, and I got up earlier because I was thinking about this meeting and anytime I'm going to speak all of a sudden before the meeting, I, I think we all do that. I'm thinking about what are we, what are you going to say, Rick? What are you going to, you know? And I came up with some inspirational things. And if I could just play back what was going on in my head, you would have loved it, <laughs> but that's all gone. And I have no idea where I'm going to go with this now. It usually works out okay. But um, my other, you know, and by the way, all of my addictions, all of my addictions developed almost in parallel and progressed through the same processes. Um, you know what, let's, let's get this one thing taken care of. Rita, can you throw out that picture? So I've got a picture of me kind sure. of when I came in. And um, so you're looking at me the way I am now. Um, and, and there's, I don't, you know, there are not many pictures of me from back then or even now because I don't like to have pictures taken of me because, because I'm, I'm a compulsive eater and I, and I have esteem issues and I just don't want my picture taken because I think I always look horrible. And guess what? Looking right there, you know which one is, is me the guy to the right. Now, the interesting thing is, so I'm about 275 or 280 in that picture. Um, and that was right around the year 2000 uh, and, um, or slightly after it. 
No, just before, just before. And I'm with my family in this picture. So there you see my mother and my brother and my sister-in-law and their child. But you notice that the family's all together and I'm moved away and not with them because I, I felt different and I always felt not connected and I always felt isolated and not a part of. And I spent an entire life wanting to be a part of. Um, and this is a big part of what led to my uh, compulsive eating, all of my disorders. Um, and if you take a look, that's, I used to, people used to say that I look like Tony Soprano, if you know <laughs> the Sopranos, you know? I was big. I also carried a lot more muscle at the time, um, but I had a big gut and big side overs. If I wanted to put on a pair of shoes that were tie shoes, it would take at least two to three shots because I'd bend over and it would cut off the diaphragm and the air would go away. I'd have to come up and breathe. You know, that's enough of that, by the way. <laughs> I don't even like this. I don't mind seeing that guy anymore, but you know, um, I, I'd have to, I, I couldn't, I couldn't breathe. I had reflux heavy all the time. I would eat, I would binge eat and binge eat and have terrible heartburn. And I couldn't lie down on my, on my side or on my back. I'd have to pop myself up in pillows. And the irony is that the minute I started to slow down a little bit on the reflux, we're talking about the end, you know, and that's, and I'll go back, you know, but the minute I, the reflux would start to lessen. Uh, I would immediately go back and and stuff the next thing in my mouth, you know. And just, I mean, my stomach would be distended. What a horror story! It was an absolute horror story. So here's the thing: um, I was two seventy five, two eighty at that point, uh, but I I didn't start out, and, and I was embarrassed when I first came to Overeaters Anonymous. Because when I went to my first meeting, it seemed like everybody who was sharing was 300, 350, you know, and had been that way since since birth, had been that way early on, um, and and it had to fight society and being bullied and and all those other things. That's not the way it worked for me. I, it happens that I was a skinny kid. And by the way, I am, I am not just a compulsive eater. I've also been diagnosed by a professional as an exercise bulimic. So as a and can I, kid, can I, I interrupt you two secs? Would yes. you be able to move inside just because a few people have asked about the wind chimes? Is that okay? Oh, the wind chimes? Yeah, I can. Yeah. Even, yeah. Okay. So this is going to be, all right, I'll talk while I do this. Watch yeah, this. go this ahead. And meanwhile, the books and everything else will be staying here. So I keep talking. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a windy day here. So I apologize for the wind chimes. And now we're gonna get inside and it's just gonna take a second. Let me just go shut the door. I'll be right back, but I'll keep talking. So, so I was a skinny kid. Really and all I did was sports and running and exercise. And as I got a little older, things changed. And then, here we go. I'm right. But you know the cool thing? I'm seven years old and I can run. I ran. Look, I'm back. I'm back. I ran this morning five miles. Are we all here? We good? 
Well, let's get the lights working and all that. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, so this morning I ran five miles. I run five miles every day. Not straight running five miles. I walk some. It's interval training, you know, but I can do that now. I can do that now. I couldn't do that when I was that guy you saw there in the picture. The, what happened was I married a woman and I had a family and I became a professional and life was really grand and I wasn't overweight. I didn't have a problem with that because I was an exercise freak. Um, but all of a sudden I was a working lawyer and a family and I stopped the exercise and my metabolism changed. And I found myself going from 175 pounds at the doctor for a checkup. And he said, you're 200 pounds. No problem. Diet, exercise, nutrition. I'll just lose it. I lost it back down to 175, you know, until, until I wasn't 175. Then I was 215. Then I, then I dieted and I got down and I yo-yoed through years, through the years up and down, in and out, over and under. Um, and I was, you know, I was, when I came to Overeaters Anonymous, I kind of wanted to lose weight, you know? And I, and I looked at it as though it was the next diet, only to a certain degree, um, only to a certain degree. But I went to that first meeting and all these people were really, were, were big, way big, you know? And I, and I have to tell you, I said, that's not me. That's not me. And I didn't come back for a year. And it wasn't, but you know, they have these, we have these things called, they talk about it in the other program, the yets, the yets, right? It didn't happen to me yet. And uh, my disorder really is one of the binge. I binge, you know, whatever I've, if I start to overeat, I eat tremendous amounts, um, you know, and then maybe I don't, maybe I don't. Um, and, but it was all mixed in, by the way, all of it at the same time, alcohol was moving up, drugs were moving up and, you know, compulsive eating was moving up. I got into a law firm with another guy who was a little bit bigger than me. He drank more than me. He drugged more than me. He ate more than me. He weighed more than me. So I could always look at him and say, oh, this poor guy, he's got problems, you know? I didn't look at myself. And one day somebody came to me and said, you know, you're, a, you're, a, you're, a, you're an addict, you're an alcoholic, you know, you know. And she didn't say, by the way, it, at when I was 280 pounds, she didn't say you must be a compulsive eater because society doesn't often accept who we are, you know? And I said, I am not. She said, how often do you drink? And I said, not every day. And she said, how often do you do cocaine? Do you do this? Do you do that? And I said, not every day, not every day. And then she said, when's the last, and when's the last time you didn't do any of those things? What was the last day? And I said, day, week, month, year. And by the way, in retrospect, it included food. You know, uh, there hadn't been, I didn't remember the last year in my life when I wasn't doing something. And I love this definition of addiction that I ran across. And it is addiction is anything, three things, anything we do on a continuing basis, which is mood altering. Oh, that's going to meetings for me, you know, I do it on a continuing basis, and it's mood altering, but three, 
anything we do on a continuing basis, which is mood altering and has negative life consequences, negative life consequences. So if I come to meetings, it's not a negative life consequence. Theoretically, I could abuse it and hide in the rooms, you know, but I, I don't think I do. Um, so, so addiction for me is the food. Addiction for me is all those things. Addiction for me used to be relationships. Addiction for me was exercise. Addiction for me was the, the entire myriad of things that I have the ability to abuse. And I binged them all. I binged them all. Sometimes I think that if I had a theme song, remember that song, um, B-I-N-G-O and Bingo was his name. Oh, it's a kid song about a dog. Well, mine should be, you know, Binjo, B-I-N-G-O, Binjo, because Binjo was my M-O, really was, you know, my modus, modus operandi. So I got in trouble professionally, and I needed a defense, and I realized I had a problem, and I went to a professional support group and went into a contract, and I met with the director and the assistant director and everybody, and I walked into the room, and they said, so tell me, what are you, an alcoholic? You're an addict. You're, what are you, you know? And I said, yeah, 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 I'm an alcoholic and an addict. And I was 280 pounds and I couldn't breathe. And I, you know what I mean? It went, you know how it is when you're way overweight and your diaphragm's almost, and you can hear it, you can hear it. And they said, I see that you have a weight problem. Is there a possibility of an eating disorder? No, they didn't say that. They didn't say that. And I've talked to them since, you know, and that was years and years ago. And they don't recognize uh, a weight problem as a defense to somebody who's a professional before the sanctioning bodies, because what they have to say is, you know, we can, we can support you for drinking and drugging, but do you think we're going to go to the Supreme Court of the state of Florida and say this guy missed his hearing because he was at IHOP having pancakes? <laughs> you know, they just don't, they won't, they don't. They don't. So it took me independently coming to realize. And the way I came to realize it, my epiphany was that a doctor diagnosed me with diabetes. And he said, we're going to start you on insulin right away. And I said, I knew, I, I remember my father, you know, I said, I don't want, can we just start with the pills? And he said, people in your class, at the point that you are, there's no point in pills because you're just going to be on insulin anyway. And I said, please, 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 let me try it. Give me 30 days. 30 days, I lost a bunch of weight because I was really good at dieting. My sugar levels were down. I was really careful about what I was eating. Everything was really great. I went back to the doctor and they said, oh my God, that's amazing. All right, we'll continue. I was at a meeting the next Saturday, an AA meeting with my friends. Afterwards, we were going out for breakfast. And I told them all as we were driving over, you know, you guys are going to have whatever you're going to have. Me, I'm going to have just a little bit of oatmeal and some fresh fruit. And that's it. Because I'm a diabetic and because I can control th I can control this. I can do this. You know, I've been in AA for years, by the way. And we got to this restaurant and the waitress came and I said, give me the five egg with extra. I ordered everything you could eat. And I ate it all. And my friends were looking at me like, you know, it was like, and I sat there and I said, oh my God, knowledge didn't work. It didn't work. It happened again. And that was a year after that first meeting. And I said, 
I remember one of the guys at the table had been to uh, OA. And I said, do you know where there's a meeting? And he said, in 15 minutes, up the street at the hospital, there were two meetings. One was OA and one was CEAL. Um, and I said, I'm there. And now this time when I walked into the meeting, I was home and I recognized that I had an eating disorder. And I recognized that just like all the other things, I couldn't control it. I couldn't handle it. My best attempts never worked, ever worked. We're never going to work. And I had that recognition already as it related to drugs and alcohol and other things. But I, but you know, I didn't feel stigmatized about saying I'm an alcoholic, I'm an addict, but yet I felt completely stigmatized and embarrassed to tell people, assuming that I told them that I have an eating disorder. And, and, and I, had, I had things happen like I went to, how, how are we on time? I don't even know. Somewhere, are we like you have, you like have that? You have 17 minutes left. Oh, great, great, okay. <laughs> Good for me, bad for you. No. <laughs> so let, for, let me tell you about this, this meeting I went to. I'm gonna to get to that. Um, my first meeting with this professional support group. It was really wonderful because we have epiphanies and we have things happen. So I, I went into this meeting and, and we're talking about just addiction in general. We really are. Um, and and we, we did the niceties. He said, okay, so tell me why you're here. And this is, and I said to myself, oh man, here we go. This is when I tell him how I screwed up, how I'm in trouble, how the people are complaining. And this is where he says to me, you're no good. You know, how can you, how can you do these things? You're a professional. You're going to have to jump through hoops. You're going to be sanctioned. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Things that I heard a lot in my life. What's wrong with you? What were you thinking? And I said to him, one or two things. I said, shh. All right, one or two things. And he looked at me. You know, he looked at me and he didn't say anything. And I was waiting for him to say those things about me that everybody always said. And by the way, even if they didn't, even if they acknowledged those things that I was saying, it seemed that if they were close to me, if they were, if they were my wife, if they were my family, if they were a friend, eventually something would come up and my confidence would boomerang back on me. And as soon as I got in some disagreement with somebody, they'd start pushing the buttons and say, well, we, you know, you, you, you. So anyway, this guy looked at me and he said, I understand. You know, <laughs> he said, nobody had ever done that in my life. All I got was judgment in my mind. And he said, I understand. And it was like, I, I've got the same chills running up and down my arms right now that I had those tw more than 24 years ago. And then he said, you know, Rick, I did that too. He was somebody who had long-term sobriety. I did that too. And after that, and by the way, here's what happened. I'm in this office and I swear to you, this is what happened. I felt warm tropical breezes blow over me sitting in this conference room. And I had a sense and I started to cry. It's so good, you know, it almost makes me cry now. Um, 
And I didn't cry because I was sad. And I didn't cry because my life sucked. And I didn't cry because I was overwhelmed. I cried because I knew that there was some opportunity in front of me, which ended up being the 12 steps that we practiced. There was the solution that was in front of me. I didn't know what 12 steps were. I didn't know what any of that stuff was. I had no idea. But I knew there was this tremendous opportunity in front of me. I didn't know what it consisted of. And I said to myself, you know, your way didn't work. Oh my God, if it had been the day before and you had said, you have to do all those things that we have to do, make amends and, and get a power greater than yourself and live with humility and, you know, and all these other things. I would have said, and I did say to the person who accused me originally of being those things, and you know, when, when I couldn't figure out the day, I said to her, you and your psycho babble crap, you know? Yeah, I know I've got a few problems. I know I've got a few things that I need to fix. I know I need to get a little bit better organized. I know that. I've got an undergraduate degree in psychology. I understand these things. But you, you're an addict, you're an alcoholic, you are whatever you are, just because that's what you are, you've got to make me that, but I'm not that, you know, even though I knew in my mind I was. Um, you've got 10 minutes now. Okay, so anyway, I walked out of there and I was ready. I was ready. And if you told me to go to the airport and dance and play my tambourine and sing kirtan mantras and, and ask people for alms, I would have done that. But it happened that I was in front of people in 12-step programs who said, we're going to refer you to this group and you're going to start there and then you'll branch out to other traditional 12-step program. Uh, and, and I was brought to the solution. I was brought to the solution. Uh, the point that I'm making is it doesn't happen until we're ready. You know, it didn't happen in terms of my food until I sat at that table and slammed my hands on the table and said, oh my God, my way didn't work. Where can you accept me? Where can I, can I find a meeting? You know, and I went to that meeting and it changed my life. But, so what about recovery from relapse? I have to tell you something. I have one white chip for more than 24 years in all the other places. I have relapsed multiple times here. I've had years of, of quality abstinence and I've had years of slipping and I've had years of not doing well, but I never ever stopped going to meetings and I never ever stopped maintaining the fellowship you know, with other people. And I, I never got away from this. I never did. And it kept me there. And it kept me there so that I always could find my way back to the solution. So the most important thing, I think, number one, to have recovery from relapse. Uh, well, I take it back. There's a word. There's a word in the big book and that uh, is used more than any other word. And you would think it would be God, but it's not. And you would think it would be sober, but it's not. It's the three versions of will, willing, and willingness. Those three words appear in the 573 pages of the big book, 565 times. And I know that because I have this big book dictionary. And I know every time 
it appears 565 times. Do you think that's important? Do you think that's important? It's got to be for me, page 29 of the big book, where it says, um, I'm one of them. I must have this thing. That's right away in the beginning. And I, I'm one of them. I relate. I identify. I'm a compulsive eater. And I must have this thing. And the reason I must have this thing is because if I don't have this thing, I'm going to die. You know, I know I'm a diabetic. I've this year had like went through heart stuff. I've been through kidney stuff, you know, and I take care of myself, but still I go off, you know, the, but I damaged myself from the earlier days. I'm doing much better now. I would venture to say that it's been seven or eight years since I've binged. Um, that's a big one for me. It's a big one for me. Some of my, my, my last binge that I recall was, there was a football game on, I wanted to see very much. And I went out and I bought a half a gallon of whatever. And I bought one of those big round disc things at a, at, at a place. And I bought a pie, kind of a rich pie. And I just kept eating them and eating them until I passed out and went into the functional equivalent of a sugar coma. And I didn't see the game I wanted to see. And I woke up at halftime. And my first thought when I woke up was, what's left? What's left? I just missed the game that I wanted to see. I fell asleep before the thing even started. And I said to myself, oh, no, you're not going to do this. You're going to see the second half. As I was jamming this garbage in my mouth again, you know, because you know what was happening? I was restless, irritable, and discontented. Just like it says in the doctor's opinion. It says these alcoholics, we compulsive eaters, are restless, irritable, and discontented unless we can enjoy that sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once with taking a few drinks. And I remember jamming the first spoonfuls of that crap into my mouth and going like, <sighs> because I was restless, irritable, and discontented because I was spiritually unfit, because I was emotionally and physically bankrupt, because I was dying. And I just kept jamming that. And by the way, I, I was a diagnosed diabetic at that point that we're talking about. At that point that we're talking about, I was absolutely killing myself worse than if I stuck needles in my arms or some other things, you know, just terrible stuff. The great news is- Five minutes left. The one Okay, we're, we're going to speed it up now. The wonderful news is that in this program, there's always a transition. So it goes from, I must have this thing because I'm going to die, to uh, the seventh step where it talks about humility. It says, I'm one of them. I want this. I want this. It's not work anymore. It's an opportunity. It's a better life where I used to be restless, irritable, discontented. There's this continuum for me of how we feel. But it says in the big book, in the family afterwards, it says the thing that we all hear about, we all know. I have an opportunity to be happy, joyous, and free. I'm not happy, joyous, and free all the time, but I'm happy, joyous, and free a lot of the time where I used to only know anger really seriously, anger and hostility. I didn't, you know, and, and, and hatred. The word hatred, I used to hate things. Today, I'm for the most part, happy, joyous, and free. Today, I have the opportunity. I've replaced hatred with more love.
I had some love, you know, but on, on balance, there was a little love maybe for the person I was married to and my children. I was indifferent to the many and I hated the rest. Today, the word hatred is not in my lexicon with the exception of those times that I bring it up because I'm talking about my past, but the word love is strongly part of my life today. And I can honestly say this to everybody in this room. I love you. You know, what a wonderful thing. I swear to God, I love you. I love you all, you know. Would you rather feel hatred or would you rather feel love? Would you rather have hard running anxiety or would you rather know peace? You know, we all want peace. Serenity, impossible for me earlier. You know, we just did this convention thing and I had some anxiety roll up getting ready for this convention. It was terrible because I hadn't felt that way in a really long time. But the convention went off and it came off well. And, and, um, and now I'm back to just feeling the way I feel, the love that I feel. The meditation meeting I go to first thing in the morning where we all love each other. And it's just this really great thing. And if I had heard some guy talking the way I'm talking right now, wearing like prayer beads and, you know, talking about love, I would have said, <laughs> meet me outside. I got some love for you, you know? I couldn't comprehend what was capable of. So really, the truth is that abstinence isn't the end game. Abstinence is the physical condition that we require so that we can enter into a spiritual space for growth to enlarge in our spiritual lives so that we can have these feelings, so that I can sit out on that balcony with the wind chimes and feel the presence of God. I was an atheist when I got here. Today, the God of my understanding is irreplaceable, is a magnificent part of my life. And what is it? It's none of your business. And what is your God? It's none of my business, because what we have together is that we're joined together by a disease that wants to kill us. We are joined together having a solution in common if we determine that we're going to exercise it. But we have differently for all the different religions and the different beliefs. That separates us. I don't want to be separate from you. I don't want to tell you that my way is better than yours. And I don't want you to tell me what your way is, because I'm a typical low self-esteem compulsive overeater, and I might think, oh man, my way is just not right. I, I should be doing it that way, you know? So today, now, my life couldn't be better. There is not any place on the face of this planet that I would rather be right here, right now with you guys, because here's the truth. The reason is because I am you, and the truth is that you are me. And what we have in common joins us in understanding that nobody else could possibly ever know in my, in my other lives outside of the fellowships. Nobody, nobody. If I've never spoken to you, anybody in this room, if we've never had a conversation, we've already had all the conversations that there are. We know each other because we know what we are, who we are, how we operate, how we can enter into the solution, how we can, Bill Wilson said, um, Bill Wilson said the, the next frontier is unconditional love. That's what he said. That's the big one. That's the, that's the end game, unconditional love. Can I love you without condition, without an expectation of anything in return? If I can do that, I can stay abstinent. If I can do that, I can live my life to the fullest. I can enlarge in my spiritual condition. I can be a maximum service to, to you all. I think I'm out of time and never out of words, but I think I'm out of time. So thank you so much.
Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much, Rick. And I'm just going to read a, a little paragraph. Well, a couple of separate paragraphs out of my chance to live in the big book that sums up um, what Rick shared, which was absolutely wonderful. <laughs> no one who drank as I did wakes up on the edge of the abyss one morning and says, things look pretty scary. I think I better stop drinking before I fall in. I was convinced I could go as far as I wanted and then climb back out when it wasn't fun anymore. What I found, what happened was I found myself at the bottom of the canyon thinking I'd never see the sun again. AAOA didn't pull me out of that hole. It did give me the tools to construct a ladder with 12 steps. Sobriety is nothing like I thought it would be. At first, it was one big emotional roller coaster full of sharp highs and deep lows. If asked what the two most important things in recovery are, I would have to say willingness and action. When I am willing to do the right thing, I am rewarded with an inner peace no amount of food or liquor could ever provide. When I am unwilling to do the right thing, I become restless, irritable, and discontent. It is always my choice. Through the 12 steps, I've been granted the gift of choice. I'm no longer at the mercy of a disease that tells me the only answer is to drink. If willingness is the key to unlock the gates of hell, it is the action that opens those doors so that we may walk freely among the living. Over the course of my sobriety, I've experienced many opportunities to grow. I've had struggles and achievements through it all, and I will not have had to take a drink, nor have I ever been alone. And I'll just leave it there. 